Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Endurance Minded. I'm your host, Taylor Thomas, founder and coach at TEC. And on this episode, I speak with Andy Blow. Andy's the founder of Precision Hydration. Um, He also has a background uh, as an elite level triathlete. He is an exercise scientist. He's a coach. And he brings uh, a wealth of knowledge to to our conversation and draws from all of these experiences to inform uh, what we talk about. Uh, We cover a wide range of topics, everything from how maturity as an athlete is oftentimes more important than fitness, how adjusting your expectations as you get older is important, how training with a group oftentimes isn't the best uh, for many athletes, and how that squad mentality Uh, And the ego that that can bring can be detrimental to many athletes' performance and their progression. And then also talk about the overtraining and burnout that Andy's dealt with at a personal level, um, what he learned from that, and and how he used that to inform the decisions he's made as an athlete uh, moving forward. So tons of great information. Um, I I really was excited about this conversation. I I have tremendous respect for Andy and really value his opinions uh, as it relates to uh, being an athlete, uh, being a coach, being a business owner, and um, he uh, he has a lot a lot of great things to say, and I think there'll be a lot of great takeaways for for anyone that's listening. Um, Precision Hydrations also offered a special offer code for all of endurance-minded listeners. Go to precisionhydration.com, enter the offer code endurance-minded for 15% off of your first order from now until the end of 2019. Again, that's precisionhydration.com, offer code endurance-minded for 15% off of your first order. Um, Also, thomasendurancecoaching.com, as always, for all things endurance-related. Check out our blog, reach out to a coach, um, and Thomas Endurance Coaching is always a great resource for any of the things that we talk about on Endurance Minded. So thanks again for tuning in. Please enjoy my conversation with Andy Blow. Hey, Andy. How are you doing today? Yeah, good, thank you. Early morning for you. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah a little bit but it's good i uh you're saying i, I do my best work uh, in the morning I'm, i wake up with with a lot on my mind you know which is uh tends to make me very productive in the morning so uh it's good i i think uh, a lot of a lot of um as a as a business owner you can probably uh relate to that i imagine right like you a thousand things on your to-do list and there's it, the time to do it is as soon as your feet hit the ground out of the bed right Absolutely. Otherwise, the, the likelihood of it happening and the quality of the work gets done decreases throughout the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, my, the quality is uh, is definitely dwindling uh, as the day progresses. So I'm, I'm, it's best that everyone catches me before uh, you know before before lunchtime. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Thanks. Thanks for being uh, on the show. I'm uh, I'm excited to to have you on for a variety of reasons. One, um, your uh, your involvement, or, or rather, founding um, uh, of Precision Hydration, which is a company um, that that uh, my coaching company, Thomas Endurance Coaching, uh, is partnered with, and, and you guys have been uh, really instrumental in the success of a lot of our athletes um, that deal with dehydration and uh, and sodium loss, and and that that's a really kind of underserved topic I, I feel like in, in sports nutrition and so um yeah I, i'm curious just as a little bit of a background before we get into the, the the kind of uh you know meat and potatoes of of our conversation what um t- tell me a little bit about the kind of what brought ph into existence and and you know because i know it stemmed from your background and experiences as an athlete and i, I think that'll that'll be an, an interesting segue into some of the other stuff we talk about yeah, sure. Well, when I was when I was younger, I was I was hell bent on being a triathlete. That was my that was what I wanted to do. Um, only from probably very late teens on, actually. But I went to I went to university at the University of Bath in the UK, which was um, a triathlon centre of excellence in the late nineties, in the run up to the Sydney Olympics. And I was looking after training a group with people like. Simon Lessing, who was one of the favorites for the 2000 Olympics. And so I was sort of surrounded mm-hmm. by all these, these great athletes and it brought my level on to start with, at least it brought my level on no end. And I, it, it became apparent after a few years doing that, that I wasn't going to 
make the games but in the short distance racing but i showed a, a you know i showed a bit of interest in long distance racing and moved up to doing a bit of xterra and doing some ironman and it was at that point that i started to learn some pretty hard lessons about hydration and i always knew i had a high sweat rate but it wasn't until i started racing in places like kona that i realized how much of a disadvantage my sort of sweat rate and and actually in in the end my salt loss and my sodium loss was to my performance in the heat because i was following at the time pretty generic guidelines for salt and fluid replacement and you know really coming up short in races in hot conditions i was cramping i was ending up in the medical tent having a horrible time and it was really when a, a friend of mine who was a doctor looked at it with me and said you know what we need to look at how much salt you're losing because i was caked in the stuff when i'd finished events and and all my symptoms were like that of extreme sort of salt loss and and basically he got me a sweat test done in a hospital and lo and behold the results showed that yep as well as sweating a lot i lose a ton of salt when i sweat and and from there on it was a it was a relatively straightforward fix you know it took a it took a few months and a few races to iterate my way to a regime that worked for me but it was it was all about taking for me personally a lot more salt and and you know correcting for my individual losses and then what led to precision hydration then was it was when i stopped racing and was working with athletes as a coach and a sports scientist it was all about you know okay well if this was interesting for me i'm sure i'm not the only one out there who doesn't understand this topic very well and so i bought a sweat testing unit and started to work with athletes and and you know long story short we ended up with precision hydration you know now trying to educate trying to test athletes where we can trying to provide different strengths of electrolyte drinks for people to use in the field so that so that they can get the kind of the hydration recipe right for them yeah you know i think that's <laughs> that, that's a piece that um anybody who's been an athlete maybe long enough or or certainly been a coach and worked with athletes long enough you you very quickly um if you're paying attention you very quickly run into the the reality that you know all the training in the world can not overcome or nutrition and hydration you know right. and i think that's uh, it sounds like that's a little bit of what you know you had all the proper training and, and all of, you know, the, the fitness, um, I guess, so to speak on the surface, but, you know, if you can't dial in that, that piece from a nutrition perspective, then you really, you can't get over that, that hump, you know, the, the obstacle is, is like too, too big to, to overcome. I, I'm curious, one of the things that just kind of popped in my head while you were talking about that is when you were having all of these these setbacks, you know, going to the med tent, having what I imagine were disappointing race results as a result of, of, um, you know, of lack of hydration, um, or, or more specifically, uh, sodium. How did, did that, how did that impact, if at all, your, like your motivation to race, you know, like you were at a, specifically at Conan world championships, you're at a very high level and things like this kept happening did it did it deter you at all or you know how did that impact your kind of you know mental aptitude to, to continue to yeah, race it, it absolutely it, it did it really knocked me on that you know psychologically because when i qualified for to so i qualified in about 2000 i can't remember this sort of around 2002 or 2003 or so i qualified to race at the world long distance triathlon championships for great britain in the elite team and i qualified at a race in wales in the uk which was in i think it was in september and it was sort of unseasonably cold for the time of year so we, were, we actually had almost um like light snow or sleet on the bike ride i remember it's absolutely freezing and i had a great race <laughs> I, had a, I had a really really strong race because for me i'd always trained in the cold done well in the cold and you know, that was what you know, that was what got me into the team for that event, and then I went to the World Championships, which that year was in um, Nice in France, and on the, at the same location as they now do the Ironman, and where the seventy point three World Championships was this year, and it was like I don't know eighty five degrees Fahrenheit, and I I totally you know totally fell apart, 
And I can't, I can't necessarily mm-hmm. say it was all hydration related because it was my first really big championship race and there were lots of other factors, but I was in good shape and I should have, whereas I ended up walking most of the run and was like devastated mm-hmm. that I just sort of felt quite embarrassed, you know, to be passed by everyone on the, on the, um, on the promenade des Anglais. And then sort of another, another year on or a year or two on from that, I had a similar experience where I qualified for the Hawaii Ironman and I qualified by getting on the, on the podium at the half Ironman in the UK, which again was running relatively sort of cool, cold conditions. I had the fastest run split of the day. I mean, the course was short, but I think I ran under, on a, on a slightly short course, I ran under 110 for a half marathon at the end of, of that was in great wow. phenomenal shape and then i went to kona and just totally sucked and did like 10 and a half, 10 and a half <laughs> hours which you know i was gunning for sort of trying to in in i was probably gunning to try and break nine hours you know be like at mm-hmm. least 90 minutes down on what you thought you could do and and it was and sure. at that point you know and frankly i quali and then the following couple of years i qualified for kona again a couple of times but i i didn't go i just I didn't have the confidence to, to throw down. And it was around that time. That was when I was starting to kind of learn about this salt loss and fluid and starting to get on top of it. But it did, you know, when, when I was back then, I was not making a lot of money as a, as an athlete, certainly, and supporting it with a bit of, a bit of work. But it was a big, it was a big throwdown to go from the UK to Hawaii and to base your season around that. And, and basically the sort of, I, I I think it did get into my head that you know you know you're just not suited to racing in these conditions, so why bother? And I and I I guess I look back with a small element of regret now because you know I'm not going to be as fit as that again um, because I'm older and because right. my life has changed. You know, I've got family and kids that 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 obviously deserve and need a lot of a lot of my time, a business to run, and and also if I'm honest, the kind of the time for that for me feels like it's passed it's passed on. Um, and so I, I guess there's a bit of an element of a feeling now. I wouldn't call it regret out and out, but I definitely feel a bit like Ooh, maybe I should have put my hat in the ring another time just to see if I could could have got a good one there, you know. And I'm sure a lot of athletes, maybe yeah. maybe especially as they get older, can look back a little bit like that. But it was a big, big factor for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I see that happen a lot, or more more often than I would like yeah. to see it happen. <laughs> Uh, with with athletes is that they they do because of um, improper or or not having a firm of a grasp on their nutrition and and hydration they they have really poor race results and you know you brought up a good point that you know for, for a lot of people I would say most most folks. You know, exe- getting to a race, to to a goal race, to a big event, you know, it, it takes it takes a big commitment. You know, there's a financial commitment. There's time away from work or from family, or uh, you know, and and so it builds and builds, and you get to this big event, and and you have a a, a bad day. Um, you know, again, back specifically because of not because of the lack of commitment that you had in your training. Um, but because of, you know, not understanding or not, not being able to execute on, on a, you know, race day nutrition plan. And that, that really is hard to, to get over. I mean, I've seen a lot of athletes over the years. I mean, that was kind of the end of it. You know, you can only take so yeah. many of those blows where you show up, you keep having poor race performance. Um, and you, you go back to the, to the drawing board, you try to, you know, do more training, you try to, and you know, and you don't quite nail it down, and you you have the same results again. And you can only take so many of those 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 hits before you just kind of give it. You know, like you said, like you just you didn't show. You know, you don't go to Kona. Like why? You know, you get into that mindset where like, well, why would I show up if I yeah. know what's going to happen, <laughs> right? Uh, and uh, I think you know, and I've I've, I mean, thankfully, uh, I've worked with a lot of those athletes because they've had those troubles. And then they've come to, to, to me or to, to other coaches within TEC to, to, to help kind of dial that in, you know, ho- hopefully we're not yeah. the ones putting them, <laughs> them in that situation. But, um, 
but yeah, I mean, they they really have kind of been deflated, right? The the psychology of that experience is really hard. And to, I, I think I don't know if you 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 found this because you've probably worked with a lot more athletes on the coaching level than I have. But it's part of it is kind of actually unpicking what the actual reason for that poor performance is. Because I used to just put it down to like a simple, I'm just not good in the heat, you know. It's like, and then it then it becomes mm-hmm. almost like a a psychological issue when you're just like, well, I just hate, obviously I'm just no good in the heat and it doesn't, you don't, you don't, you don't break the problem down and really analyze it and try to get to the bottom of it. It's just, it's just like, okay, well, that's not going to work for me, you know? And I identify because obviously, you know, hydration or nutrition isn't everyone's issue. It could be pacing or it could be just something about, you know, racing in on, on a, on a big day, because I'm sure you, you know, we've all seen people who train phenomenally well, but then can't seem to put it together in a race. And and it's like, how do you, yeah, how do you break down and identify what what is that? What is that major limiter that's not that means that training performance isn't translating into racing performance? Yeah, un- unpacking that is a really uh, what I've found in working with athletes. Unpacking those those poor performances is, is a really personal um, thing to do, you know, as an athlete or as a coach working with an athlete, because you have to, you have to be very mm-hmm. vulnerable, right? Cause it, it's, it's very easy and it's very exciting to talk yeah. about the days that go well, right? E- even the training days, right? The days where you feel fantastic and you were able to execute perfectly and, and, and it seems like everything's working and that's, you know, th- those are, you know, I mean, you can talk about those yeah. or, you know, or we, we do, right. That's, those are the, th- those are the days we talk about for the rest of our lives. Um, whereas the days that don't go well, which, you know, I think truthfully are probably, you know, more frequent than, than not, right. You only, you only have a handful of like standout days in your, in your, you know, athletic career, right. That, that where everything clicks. And, um, yeah, those are, those are really, uh, personal and kind of challenging, moments to unpack right and like you said it, it getting at what it is that really caused the issue right is it is it you know nutrition and hydration maybe or is it your uh you know kind of your your you know mental preparation have has an athlete already made up their mind you know like you said that oh i just i can't race in the heat so if you show up and it's hot you've already yeah. decided that you're going to have a bad day you know or maybe that's not the case per se, or, or, you know, you show up and you see athletes that you feel uh, are better than you are or more prepared and you get it in your head, you know, it's this, it's this self, it's a self, yeah. self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where you can get into this very circular kind of negative feedback loop um, that, that can really set you up for, for a series of poor performances. And yeah, that can be, it's a very hard thing to, to unpack. You have to be like yeah. brutally honest. I don't with know yourself, how, you, how you, know? you feel about that. Um, I, I, I feel like I've got probably got better at that as I've got older because you, hopefully you develop a bit more self awareness around you know being able to. Because I've certainly had to do it in growing, yeah. in growing the business and working with this partner and the people that work with us mm-hmm. in the in the office and that kind of thing. When you 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 can't be that sort of slightly, you can't dodge, you can't dodge the difficult conversations and the big questions and that sort of stuff. You have to, you have to engage with them full on. Otherwise you will fail. And, and, mm-hmm. I, and I think that's, that's helped. And I, and I, and I, and I suppose this is how a lot of athletes would feel, but I would love to be able to go back and re-race some of my races now where I had the sort of the, the mental side of, what I feel like I've got now, but the physical side of what I had 15 years ago. Yeah. It's really hard to get those two, the two kind of sides from a maturity perspective to align, right? Your maturity as an athlete, from a fitness perspective, from a race execution perspective, you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into that knowing, you know, being confident in your training execution, being confident in your race day execution. And that, that's a certain type of, you know, maturity that is earned. And then there's a, there's a kind of, you know, mental, emotional, psychology, you know, psychological maturity that, that takes time as well. And it's very hard to get those things to, to hit at the right, yeah. you know, at the same time on the right day. Um, you know, yeah, I, I, I see that a lot with, uh, with athletes is yeah, that, that 
um, I mean, again, I'll use the word maturity, but I think that's a, that's that's a real part of it is just having that self awareness and and having enough exposure to different types of experiences that you are able to, and then being yeah. confident in your self reflection, right? Not not blaming other people, not blaming uh, who, you know your training yeah. or your coach or your spouse or you know who, whoever it is. Um, that you just, you know, you, you, it's on, it's on you and you have to be, um, willing to, to adjust and make amendments and, and yeah, that takes, um, it's a hard thing to develop. You know, we, we certainly as coaches spend a lot of time, uh, working with athletes, you know, in, in the, in those regards, you know, trying to figure out kind of how we, how we get at some of those difficult questions. Cause like you said, you can't, if you dodge them, it's really a disservice to everyone that you're, who's kind of a part of your team, right? Whether, like you said, whether it's with in your business or with athletes that you work with or your family or anything, right? If you just, you just skirt around the difficult questions, yeah. it's, that's really a disservice to the people that you're, that yeah, you're, that you're you know, having interactions with. This year, because I raced um, this in the swim, in a couple of swim run races. I don't know if you've come across the Otolo series. Swim run. Yeah, I, yeah. I wanted to. I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask about that, but I'll let you. Yeah, well, they're really cool. They're really I, cool yeah, really races. I did the. Those. I did my first one back in 2014, and I did it because at that point I was just um, looking for stuff to stay motivated and stay fit. And the first thing that attracted me to it actually was that it was a pairs race, so you race the whole day with a partner, and you have to work together. And there was uh, a friend of mine who I used to race triathlon with um, had seen it and suggested and said, this would be cool because, you know, rather than go and race, race each other, we could actually go and race together for a change. And I thought, yeah, that does sound really cool. So we went and did Otolo, which is in Sweden, the, the main race, and it goes down through the Swedish archipelago. And you, you basically swim a total of about 10, 10 kilometers, so six miles, and you run about 70, 65 k, which is about 40 miles. But it's all broken up. So the swims are often just a few yeah. hundred yards and then the run might be two miles and then the next run might be one mile and the next one might be five miles. So it's all kind of broken up and it's a fabulous, fabulous event. But genuinely, the best thing about it for me, apart from the stunning environment it's in, is that you have to race with this other person. And so you have to, you have this crazy dynamic throughout the, you know, nine hours or whatever it takes that you go through bad patches, your partner goes through bad patches. One of you is undoubtedly usually a little bit faster on the run and the other person might be a little bit faster on the swim. So you have to kind of manage all these emotions of that, that you just don't normally get doing, doing endurance sport because do, doing a normal event, you're going at your pace the whole time. You get to dictate. Um, and this was just like really interesting because, mm -hmm. um, you know, I find, found myself getting really frustrated and angry in some of the swims because the guy I was racing was struggling a bit in the swimming. But then I was getting frustrated and angry on the run because he was like running in front of me and too fast. And, and then it was like, and, but, but, you know, we held it together basically <laughs> and raced reasonably well. But it, but then we did subsequent ones and you get way better at that stuff because you start to become more empathetic towards your partner. They start to become more empathetic towards you. And actually I think you get a better outcome. And then, so that was like 2014, 2015. And then this year I actually raced a qualifying race in the world championships with a guy, James, who's our customer service manager at PH. And he's, he's sort of 15 years younger than me. He's definitely quite a bit fitter than me. He's a very good swimmer. Um, he's an, he's an exceptionally good runner and, you know, was was but but he's not done a lot of long races so he sort of agreed to sign up and do this with me or me with him and we thought how's this how's this going to play out and what was really interesting was we managed to go collectively in the races quite a bit faster than i've ever gone before racing with other people because i think we got this sort of chemistry right of he brought the kind of the, he brought the basically the firepower with his fitness and everything, which which could push me at the right times. But I bought the the experience mm -hmm. and the racing head that that he didn't have to control the pace early on to actually kind of talk him through some of the dark points which happen at six seven hours into these things when you're really suffering and really hurting. And I I forget sometimes that 
I've been and done that and I've, I can't remember how many times I've raced for eight, nine, ten hours. It's a lot of times, you know. But James, James had never raced for more than four hours before. And so mm-hmm. I found myself having to kind of take this new role on, which was like, I'm actually going to wow. preemptively in the days before, like, coach, talk to him about what it's going to be like. And then when we hit those points, I can say to him, remember when I said this is what it was going to be like? This is what we're going to do. You know, we're going to keep putting one foot from the other. And, do and, and we actually got a fantastic dynamic. And even though I'm five years old and I was in 2014 and doing a little bit less training, collectively we, we put together a better race and, and came out of it having both kind of learned a lot from each other. It was really, really good. Yeah, I mean, that, that really gets it, that uh, the, the maturity piece you were you know that dynamic right where you you have that it's not just pure fitness you know obviously that's a piece of it but but to be able to navigate the dynamics of a race like that both from the logistics perspective but also kind of the team dynamic there there has to be that strong kind of you know maturity like you said kind of that race mind yeah to to help to temper the just kind of raw fitness right and i think i think a lot of people uh, and, and, you know, maybe you'd agree that a lot of people show up or certainly in the world of endurance sports where you just, the assumption yeah. is that you're going to be able to ride on just pure fitness, right? That that's the only piece is that you show up and, and, and fitness wins the day. Right. And I think certainly with things that are longer, um, that, that is often not what, you know, certainly fitness plays a role, but that is often not what what drives things forward or creates success, right? That there's there's a lot more nuance there. I, I know I I see that with just in my own racing and chat. Yeah. I mean, I've essentially the older I've gotten, the longer the things I do are. You know, I I when I when I was younger and and racing at a you know at a at a at the kind of top level. I, it was just, you know, all about raw fitness, you know, and I could, I just wanted, you know, you could go fast for shorter periods of time. And, and that was, that was my only thing I was focused on, right. was, was just how fast can I go and how much fitness can I accrue during a season? And now it's, it's a much more kind of nuanced balancing act, you know, season after season, right. Whereas I'm concerned about kind of, Definitely. Well, not, you know, it's not just what happens this year. Like, can I stay healthy and motivated for the next year, the next year, right? Cause there's other stuff going on. And um, yeah, that's interesting. How did you, so that's one of the things I was, um, I wanted to ask about the swim run is I just think the endurance sports so often, well, not so often, I guess with the exception of triathlon, but for me personally, yeah. When I think about it, you know, it's, it tends to be singular disciplines um, where you, you, you do a run or you do a bike ride or you do a swim or, or whatever. And that, that swim run type of race, does that, did you find that there was like, uh, you kind of had to develop a different approach because you're in and out of the water and the run and like, does that. I guess what I, I'm getting at is like, does it mess with your makes head? It easy. To, to if you told to me to just that, run some of that, or, um, or I guess maybe. 40 miles or whatever it is in that race, I would have probably found that tougher than doing swim run, swim run, because what you obviously, and, and you, I don't know whether this is the same for everyone, hmm. but I think it's a common strategy and one that I've used in long races is if you're running a 100 miler, you know, you can't think about running a 100 miles. You've got to think about breaking it down, you know, into sections and milestones and almost not worrying about, you know, you can't worry about miles 80 mm-hmm. to 100 before you're at mile, you know, 79 almost, because you do, you just do your own head in, you know, it's, it's too big a bite to take mm-hmm. off. Whereas because this swim run, I think there's, right. I can't remember exactly how many it is, but I, I want to say it's more than, more than 100 changes of discipline in that race. So you are literally sometimes just like, and you're always just thinking about, you're, oh, wow. you're, you're micro managing the next section in your head and then maybe thinking where the next significantly tough bit might be so there's a couple of longish swims in the middle which are quite cold and there's one particularly long run which is 12 miles on one of the islands so they're big big milestones in the, in the event but other than that you've what we did was we took a sharpie and wrote on our hand paddles swimming hand paddles the the distance of each um 
segment. And then that was actually a, a tactic that we used because I said to James, right, I kind of gave him a job and I was like, right, you're going you're gonna to manage where we are on the course. And then when we get it out the water, you can tell me this is how far the next run is. And then when we should be getting ready for the swim to help him have a, a focus. And that worked brilliantly because then it's like, right, we've just got to focus for this run, which is four miles. And then we talk mm-hmm. about what the next swim was going to be like. And then you move on to the next bit. And actually, I found that after a while, I look down and you look at your watch and you've been going four and a half hours. And you, you kind of don't even, you know, it don't even realize it. Then that, then that classic endurance event mm-hmm. thing kicks in where obviously time slows down. And the next time you look at your watch, it's only one minute later. <laughs> And you, you wish you were near the end, but but that that whole thing of breaking it up <laughs> into sections and the way that race does it beautifully for you was was also really was really nice and quite instructive because I used to do that. Obviously, you can do that if you're running a lapsed course; it's easy to do. But if you're out, if you are out doing a hundred k, like I mean, a lot of people break it down to the next aid station or to the next road crossing or whatever it might be. But that that was a that that's definitely a tactic that I think helps. And I was trying to explain that to James, like for God's sake, don't think about the, the long run near the end when we're not even there yet, because you got to deal with that when we get there, not now. If you take that weight of responsibility, all it's going to do is sag your shoulders and make you feel you know, de-energized. What you've actually got to do is think about, right, this is only four miles, this run. I'm going to smash this out. And then I get a rest in the water, mm-hmm. you know, and then we, yeah, I that I you know that that kind of idea of um uh, uh, compartmentalization, you know, which is what you're talking about which is I think so so important. I I do yeah. that. I mean my I I always talk about like my whole life yeah. is compartmental. You know, you like even like you can't think about like all you have to do in one week, right? You just have to wake up, you know, and so I I I kind of apply that to, to everything. But specific to to training and and racing i that's such a big piece and i you know i'll I'll often will talk to athletes who don't have a firm grasp on on that uh that approach where say we're you know at at this point in the season it's uh it's you know it's late fall early winter and we're setting our goals for for the next season and it just seems insurmountable you know you're like well, i can't t- to think about all the work that has to be done between now and say june to get ready for a race or whatever um you, you know it's it's hard to even imagine that you can do the work you know but you just focus on you know okay i'm gonna do this week or this training block or whatever and then yeah i mean same thing in racing you know don't don't think about nice. you know when at the start line how long you're going to have to be uncomfortable right just think about the start and then think about the you know the next i always use um like segments or features in the terrain you know so if we'll look like a course there's typically like standout features you know you're like okay here's here's a big climb you get through this climb like that's you know and that's a section right we'll focus on success during that section and then you can descend or whatever and settle in and then there's another climb or you know, or a straightaway or or whatever it is. And yeah, I think that that's a big, that's a big component of, um, of success. And again, I mean, just to go back to that maturity piece too, right. I think that's a, you know, when, as a typically athletes that are newer to sport, you just, you start hard and you think you're going to finish harder, you know, and there's no, you don't break it up at all. or You don't think about how the day is going to unfold. You just, again, raw fitness, right? Whereas so that maturity piece and having some, some, the ability to reflect on past races and experiences, you know, if this was like, if we were going shopping, James, James might have had, he probably had a thousand dollars and I was lucky if I had four or 500, you know, mm-hmm. so I, and I would, so I had to spend, I had to spend really wisely early on, mm-hmm. which, which partly involved me kind of, setting the pace and reining him in a little bit and partly just talking to him about tactically why I thought, you know, trying to trying to be really frugal with my resources because mm-hmm. when like you're saying about that raw fitness thing when you when you're younger and racing really hard, I'm sure that people, you know, basically they 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 get very, very fit a lot of the time, but 
but they don't spend that that capacity in in races very wisely you know they go out too hard and they they sort of they they sprint up hills when they don't need to and all this sort of stuff and then what you gain from doing that is is minor but the cost of it is huge and i've definitely learned and that's the same actually with my entire training philosophy now i basically have between five and six hours to train a week roughly when i really analyze it and so I have to be pretty targeted in what I do, but then also mm-hmm. accept that in a race that gives me a level and that you've got to know what that is and, and meter it out so, so perfectly if you're going to have a good day. Because if you, if you step over, you've got no capacity to soak it up. You know, when you're super, super fit, you can go into a race and blast up some hills and make some mistakes and, and burn a bit of energy. And the overall cost mm-hmm. of your performance is, is smaller. But when you've not got much to play with, you you got to you got to be so so careful and read the signs and all that kind of stuff and and that's something which I've definitely out of necessity I think got way better at in my own head. you know so if I'll even and I'll even I've even managed to translate it back down the distances so in the mm-hmm. UK we have a fantastic initiative which um, you you may or may not have heard of called Park Run which the Saturday morning everywhere there's hundreds of them up and down the UK you can go to a local park and mm-hmm. there'll be a 5k course it's free to enter you just have carry a little barcode that you print off the web and you run it and it's kind of they say it's not a race it sometimes is at the front but it's just a participation thing it logs your times and you know it's just brilliant so so I <clears throat> yeah I think there's this and that's a really love that that point that you know I I think, and coming from my experience with with working with athletes, and honestly from myself as well, you know, there's this there's this really um, uh, yeah this idea, this very pervasive idea in in endurance sports that you know that more is always better, right? They, okay, like I, you know, everybody wants to do more, and they're like, okay, well, you know, so just trying to really ring every last second out of their week to to do more you know and i i feel very strongly that that's not and i think science backs this up if we're talking about you know age group athletes that have a set amount of time each week right we're not talking about pro athletes that can do you know 20 plus hours a week but you know Mm. if you have you know say six to ten hours a week you know, how you utilize that time becomes very important, right? And understanding how to individualize that time um, so that you do, like you said, so that you do get the best out of yourself, you know? So it's not about yeah. more um, or, or you know, anybody that's worked with me probably gets tired of hearing like quality over quantity, right? Like I'm not, not interested in quantity. Yeah. We'll, we'll do that when it, you know, volume is obviously a, a part of the equation when it comes to race specificity. You know, if you, you're doing a long race we, we need to do some long workouts that you know get us you know close but um but really you know on the whole it's about just kind of no. wringing the the most quality effort out of the time you have because you you can't create more time right like like if you have six hours no. that's all, that's what you have you know you can't you can't just magically have 15 hours the next week because that's not the way life goes um you know, and that that's something that I've I've really uh I think I'm in the same uh kind of boat that, that you're in where yeah, I mean as just adjusting those expectations for what your training is going to, to look and feel like, but also what that means for your race day. You know, as you you know mature as an athlete, as you age as an individual, and you still want to stay motivated and fit and driven but it doesn't look and feel like it used to, you know, I think a lot of people find themselves in that position, right? They're like, there's a juxtaposition between what they remember feeling like as, as their maybe younger fitter self and what their actual reality is now. And you have to figure out how to rectify those things and, and, and be happy and, and comfortable and motivated in that space, right? Because you don't have, you don't have the time that you used to have or, or the fitness or, you know, whatever. And, um, yeah, yeah I think that's, I think that's a big, <laughs> that's a, yeah. I, I could, we could, that could be a whole, a whole separate uh, show. I'm, I'm sure. Cause that's something that's, that's kind of my, my, my like miniature. So from living at home and training with 
few different groups of people and sometimes on my own and doing mediocrely well at triathlon as a junior but not not doing anything special to then being thrown in with a bunch of people who are highly motivated having access to all the facilities and really just sort of I was able to take the brakes off completely and, and just go nuts with the training and you know what I, what I did was train incredibly hard to start with and in, incredibly frequently and because I was sort of 19 20 years old and had not a lot of other worries mm -hmm. responsibilities or anything else my body could soak it up and what I then found was that that led to very steep improvement which then kind of fulfills this positive feedback loop that okay well I'm doing the right thing so if I'm doing the right thing I've just got to do more of it um, and then I'll get there and then and I and I sort of obviously started to then get into the whole first of all you get diminishing returns so what do you do right you double down because obviously you know you don't think you're training hard enough or whatever and and then it gets even worse and that just that keeps going until eventually for me anyway it was like something goes snap and with that i think it was it was sort of a combination of getting just getting ill like a almost like a glandular fever type fatigue illness and and then also just mental mental burnout and a huge knock in confidence and washout in confidence because what was i doing wrong you know and then you start questioning am i just not made to be doing this and and, and without external input at that point it's very very difficult to get off that trail and it took me years and and part of the reason that that i changed focus with going from short distance to long distance was because i actually just i think i i burnt myself out of the kind of squad training environment and i and i have real issues actually with that sort of squad training environment in that it's not all bad for sure because you you, you need to dip mm. in you know certainly certainly going into that squad and having a reality check about what world-class athletes did was phenomenal for me and it gave me an insight but because i wasn't built up to it slowly and just kind of jumped in and went from doing mediocre training to effectively trying to do world-class training without any preparatory steps it can burn you out quick and then if if the group is you know structured around people who are quicker than you as these things often are they're often structured around the fastest athletes if they don't cope with nurturing people of a of a lower ability in the group and, and pulling them through then what they usually do is 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 smash those people to bits and, and i've seen it time and time again with other athletes who are good but not great and they go and train with great athletes and all it does is it's it ends up in being mm -hmm. a, like a demoralizing experience especially if you're in that kind of squad group environment the whole time because you get you can get this fairly toxic kind of culture in there of every session becomes a very very hard or becomes an ego test or a race everything in your life revolves around how you're performing compared with other people in your micro little group and if you don't pull your head out of that and get some perspective and, and do some other stuff then it, it can be the, it, the big time burnout and even drop out can be the result and i got to the basically i sort of dropped out of that system and then the only reason I picked it up and went again with the longer distance stuff really was that mm -hmm. I was working at the time and my boss was an ex-triathlete and a, and a guy who was very supportive of the idea of me doing this. And he was basically just said to me, why the hell aren't you having another go? Because you've got the time and the, the fitness at this point in your life. And he was very encouraging to me. And at that point, I had a good few years where I was able to dip into that sort of squad environment from time to time to get some of the best out of it but at the same time do a lot of training with either people who weren't competitive to me so i would cycle with a great bunch of guys who were mountain bike riders and i swam with a swimming team who weren't interested in doing triathlon and then it removed that it removed the sort of more pressurized and more toxic element of that group training but kept the good parts of it and and coupled with doing sort of 50 60 percent of my general training mileage on my own that was a really good recipe for me and a good way back in to actually finding my way to to performing again but but i think quite quite often people who get sucked into these into training groups or training environments that that are a little bit beyond their ability thinking that this will pull on can often you know 
not get not necessarily get what they go looking for if, um because if you you're low on confidence yeah. you want to keep up because then you you get some confidence from that but if you keep doing that you never recover and then it yeah. just becomes like a it just becomes that downward spiral again and I remember my my boss, the guy called it was a guy called Bernie Shrewsbury, who's a very good triathlete yeah. and cross country skier in Britain. And he just he was so disparaging about this group environment because and it and it really gave me some confidence that he recognised a bit of ability in me and said this is the kind of training you should be doing. You know, it wasn't even really, I wouldn't even call it coaching what he was doing for me because it wasn't prescriptive sessions and, and this kind of stuff, but he was just giving me the broadest outline some of the time to say, this is the kind of stuff that worked for me and what I used to do. And I followed his mentality of dipping into these other groups and he's, his thing, whether he perhaps articulated it directly or not, was definitely going into the environments and training with people or training on your own at times when it's the the outcomes you got from that suited you so if you really needed to be pushed in the swimming and really push on and train hard go and train with the swim squad and the swim team but if you wanted to do something very easy and just recovering unless you're far better off just getting in the water and doing that on your own because then there's no pressure and there's no one there watching and there's no perception of okay well people just think i'm going i'm, I'm lazy or i'm not working and and all of that that definitely gave me a shot in the arm and and sort of uh, eventually I, I and that's it was during that period when i mm -hmm. managed to get more of my really you know probably some of my best performances out um you know be, because of that that change and so it was a, it, looking back on it, it was a very instructive experience i think that's really going to resonate with a lot of uh a lot of folks listening to this episode because one of the things that that I see a lot of with with age group athletes is this you know you have your local club team right whether it's a run uh, uh, it's it seems to be more pervasive with with cycling but you know it exists in in uh running and, and swimming as well but these these local club teams that are you know sponsored or hosted by you know bike shops or running shops or whatever and they, those can be uh, what I've seen over the years is those can be very similar environments. You know, even though the, the folks, the athletes involved in those groups are not world-class athletes, you know, they're, they're yeah. kind of this weekend warrior, you know, age group, whatever. And then, you know, they, they certainly are often very talented in their own right, but they're, they're not, you know, competing on the world stage. Um, the, the, the environment is, is very similar to what you've just described, you know, in a much, um, with, with, you know, I guess higher or more developed athletes. And what I've seen is that people get involved in these groups and, and that there is a lot of ego involved, you know, and it, and it pulls an athlete away from focusing on what they need to be doing. Right. So you might go out and, you know, say in the wintertime, yeah. they say it's going to be just a nice, kind of base ride, you know, three hours or whatever at moderate pace. And it ends up being a, you know, a hammer fest, you know, they go out and, and people start jockeying for position. And, and then inevitably, of course, like you said, it, it, it drags you down and it can be, can be, you know, you feel like you're not good if you yeah. a Saturday ride, but it was like a chain bang and it was effectively almost like a road race. Really. It was like, you know, you, turned up and you sort of brought your a game because everyone no one waited for anyone if you got dropped if you mm -hmm. got a puncture or something it was like a pretty brutal but understood policy of you know this is a hard yeah. ride and you know there's a lot of a lot of a lot of ego involved and a lot of pushing and, and once in a while i found that really really you know really useful to to sort of, because mm -hmm. it was effectively like race simulation type stuff but i was pretty selective then about how often I decided to go there and do that because I knew the, mm -hmm. the, the cost of it. You know, my, my training on the day after on the Sunday had to right. be really easy because effectively I was recovering from a race. But if, if that's every day or, you know, or even just too frequent, that's, yeah, that's when you start to see it become problematic. Yeah, that's the recommendation yeah. I, I try to – because, you know, certainly the, the community and the camaraderie Agreed. in those – 
in that team environment or group environment can be very beneficial. You know, it's training solo all the time uh, typically doesn't work for everyone. You know, I mean, you need need to, to pop into those environments where you feel some camaraderie and support and are able to, to collaborate or, or whatever. But I, I always make the recommendation yeah. to do it when it's right for, for the individual athlete, you know, not to be drug along just because they host that ride every Saturday doesn't mean you have to show up. You know, you can do, <clears throat> you can do what's right for you. You can go easy, you can go short, you can take an off day, you know, whatever. And and also give yourself the ability to focus on quality sessions during the week, you know, when, when time is limited and, and, you know, you need to maybe do some, some harder efforts and you don't want to be so, so beat up from the weekend from feeling the, the pressure to do these big rides or runs um, that you can't execute when it, when it matters, you know? And I think that's when it can be like, you, you know, yeah. that's when it can be detrimental. And the experience that you had was where you feel this, this constant pressure to, to perform and excel even on days when there shouldn't have been any pressure. Um, you know, and that's, that's hard to, to carry that weight for a long for a long period of time, you know, to feel like every workout is, uh, there's yeah. something riding on it. You know, you need those days when you can just go out for an easy run or, you know, or spin on the bike or, you know, or, or not do anything, you know, or take a miss, you know, know that you have that flexibility. Um, because yeah, just <clears throat> that weighs mentally that gets, that gets away. I've been a part of groups like that too. Certainly. That's, you know, my own experience where, you just knew yeah. no matter what was advertised in terms of the the goal of the of the of the ride um that you had to bring your a game you know you knew that when you show up that everybody was going to even if they just kind of incrementally increase the pace by the end of the ride um yeah. and and run i used to work out with a track team uh you know as well and it was the same thing you know by the end of the the workout you were just full, full gas, you know, because everybody just upping the ante. And, um, yeah, I think that's, I think, you know, I think a lot of, and there's a lot of, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of age group athletes are in that position, you know, where they, they, they like to be a part of this team environment because Monday through Friday, they go to work and they have to, you know, they, they maybe work out on the trainer or, or a treadmill or, or whatever. And they get these opportunities to, to have that, community environment but it can be they they walk away from those rides and runs feeling worse about themselves sometimes because they they weren't able to execute like they like the you know because of everybody got too serious or, or whatever so because you can definitely learn a lot from you know from all these from all these mediums so i hope i hope that you know even just chat chatting it through makes people think about their own situation if they if they benefit from that then then we're winning Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andy as much as I did. Remember, you can go to precisionhydration.com and use offer code ENDURANCEMINDED to receive 15% off of your first order from now through the end of the year. Feel free to also visit thomasendurancecoaching.com for resources on all things endurance sports. We appreciate you tuning in. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time.